0: Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media,
1: pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. My name is Patrick Moran. Thank you very much as always. For locking in. Today is an audio only episode. Most episodes of Talking Buffalo you can also find on the video side on our Talking Buffalo YouTube channel. However, every now and then there's an episode where you're only going to be able to get it if you are subscribed on the audio side. Uh, Today is one of them. Long story short, just a couple issues with some gear on the video side. So, like I said, end result audio only kind of serves here as a reminder that the only way you're guaranteed to be able to get every single episode of Talking Buffalo in its complete entirety is if you are subscribed or following on the audio side, whether that's Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I still highly, highly, highly encourage everybody to make sure that you are subscribed to the Talking Buffalo YouTube channel, because like I said, most full episodes are up there on our channel And we're also going to start doing some video exclusive stuff on the channel. So make sure that you're kind of locked into both. Thank you very much. Uh, Today is our Monday episode. Uh, I got some thoughts on the Buffalo Bills. Naming Joe Brady, the the offensive coordinator, removing the interim tag. Um, That was a process that's went on over the past week or so. Uh, The Bills are interviewing some potential defensive coordinator candidates. Got some thoughts on that as well. Kansas City Chiefs versus the San Francisco 49ers. That is your Super Bowl, much to the dismay of many Buffalo Bills fans, I am sure. Got a couple thoughts on that. And a couple quick closing thoughts on the Buffalo Sabres. It's not going to be a very long episode at all today. Uh, I want to let you know, before we get cooking with today's episode here, tomorrow, big episode of Talking Buffalo, a lightning rod so to speak for Buffalo Bills fans Tyler Dunn is going to be with me in fact Tyler's not only going to be on the show tomorrow's episode but we're actually going to record it he's coming here to my home studio and we're going to record it late Monday night so it will be available on the video side out for audio overnight Monday into Tuesday but that is going to be a good one folks I'm telling you right now and we talked about it before, and if you're a Bills fan, I'm almost certain that you know who Tyler Dunn is. To a lot of fans, he's become uh public enemy number one with Bills fans because of a series that he dropped on his go long website uh following the Philadelphia game, a three-part series that made quite literally national news. And then he had a follow-up column after the Bills lost last week to the Chiefs. So I'm gonna ask him. The tough questions. I can promise you that much. This is not going to be a a puffy episode. It's not going to be an episode where I just lob Tyler some softballs and and let him smack him out of the park. I'm going to ask him what I'm sure a lot of you want asked. And uh, I'll preface it by saying the same thing that I've said several times on this show over the course of the last several weeks or even months now at this point. I know Tyler Dunn very well. I've worked with Tyler going all the way back to 2006 when we both worked together on a Buffalo Bills blog. Gotten to know him through the years on a personal level. I've known his wife for a long time. In fact, I knew Tyler's wife before Tyler even met her. So I have a a long, friendly relationship with Tyler. That's my guy, man. I like him a lot. And that said. I'm going to ask him some questions that I know you want asked. Does he consider what he did a hit piece? Does he have a personal axe to grind with Sean McDermott, with the Buffalo Bills organization? Did he go maybe too far in some instances to make the the series that he wrote on Sean a, a little bit personal? Some people think yes. I have some things about it myself, and again, you won't find a bigger Tyler Dunn fan than me, Patrick Moran. I promise you that, but there were some things about the series and about the follow up column that maybe I wasn't in love with, so I'm gonna ask him those questions. It's gonna be a a fun chat. I promise you that, and uh, look for that tomorrow, man. tomorrow. that's going to be a very good episode. I'm looking forward to that that aside, I've had Tyler on the show a handful of times and I've always enjoyed our conversations because whether you love what he's saying about the Bills or anybody in the NFL, any team in the NFL, or whether you disagree or you hate it, Tyler has always been a really fun and revealing chat. So I'm looking forward to having him on. And like I said, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna be personal in any way because I just know him as a person. And that's kind of, you know, during this whole process too, by the way, this is the thing that's kind of triggered me the most on social media, when people are taking potshots at him as a human being, you know, somebody who's blogging in mommy's basement and lying about having all these sources. That's kind of what made me step up and defend Tyler. Not so much the work itself, which again, we're going to deep dive into. So it's going to be a really fun episode. I don't want to talk about it anymore. We're going to save all that for tomorrow. It'll be interesting. As for today, like I said, I just got some thoughts and observations here on a handful of topics, and then we'll get you out of here uh news for the buffalo bills this week actual news couple things Uh, i think at the top sunday joe brady being named bill's offensive coordinator that's where we should start off the interim tag has been officially uh lifted off of him i'm confident that this is a uh the right move for the buffalo bills let's start there and what i like about joe brady specifically as opposed to when Ken Dorsey was named OC before the start of last season, is we've actually seen a body of work now from Joe Brady in season, in terms of play calling. Like when Ken Dorsey took over after Brian Dable left, Ken Dorsey didn't have actual play calling experience. Joe Brady already had some with Carolina before this, before coming to the Bills 2020, 2021. And then for the second half of the season, We saw it. So we actually got a body of work to go off of right now with him calling plays. So I like that a lot. What I like a lot too, not as much as Sean McDermott, but I like the fact that the Bills ran the ball much more effectively and efficiently with Joe Brady as offensive coordinator. And again, saying something like that is like porn music to Sean McDermott's ears because you know damn well Sean McDermott wants to be able to run the football. And with Joe Brady, he's got a guy who did that and did it well. I liked a lot of what Joe Brady brought to the table once the Bills got rid of Dorsey. And I think it was significantly noticeable. Uh, I I think it was significantly noticeable how Dalton Kincaid stepped up more and more as the season went on. I think it's significantly um, important to, to see Khalil Shakir grow into a role, you know, He's the slot receiver now. Like he goes into this off season and maybe if we had this conversation in October, we'd be talking about getting a a boundary receiver, a wide receiver number two as your top priority and maybe a second receiver, a slot receiver as a high priority as well. But I think Khalil Shakir has done enough that he's that guy now. And I think we all know that. So the Bills are gonna go into the off season and I don't think they have to worry about what they have at slot receiver so Khalil Shakir really stepped up under Joe Brady. Of course, James Cook played really well and played well for the most part for the entire season, but he stepped up under Joe Brady. Uh, Ty Johnson did some good things under Joe Brady. So the offense just as a whole was better with Joe Brady taking over. So you have a body of work. You've seen it. It makes you feel good about the hire. Uh, you'd like to think the offense is more balanced. And of course, probably the biggest thing that we saw under Joe Brady more than anything else was Josh Allen using his legs a lot more. Although, to be fair, and I've said this, and I'll continue to say this, I don't completely put that on Ken Dorsey that Josh Allen wasn't running the football when he was the OC. I still think that's a product of Sean McDermott not wanting Josh Allen to run the football a lot early in the season so that he could save his legs and his body more down the stretch where he would be taking, you know, you run the ball more and it comes with a physical toll. So I think that was a lot about Sean McDermott insisting that Josh did not run the football a lot during the first half of the season when Ken Dorsey was still OC. But anyway, we saw much more of that under Joe Brady. Regardless of who the offensive coordinator is, and now we know it's going to be Joe Brady, you know, mock draft season is going to be really easy for the Buffalo Bills this time around. They need a wide receiver. They need a wide receiver who could come in and give them those explosion plays that they badly missed uh, down the stretch. None so more than the Kansas City game. Trent Sherfield drops two passes. Stephon Diggs drops a bomb, which he's still getting killed over by a lot of fans. P- people are pissed off about that. That was an anomaly. Look, Stefan Diggs struggled here, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, something you know completely unrelated to talking about Joe Brady here. Stephon had some struggles. The numbers weren't good in the back half of the year. But it's not like he was just going around dropping bombs, like literally dropping bombs every single week. Still a good player. But anyway, they lack a guy who can give them more explosion plays. That's going to be their target. It has to be. You know, Sean McDermott doesn't like to have trust in rookies early on. I think that's something that he's struggled with since becoming Buffalo Bills head coach. But... In fairness to him, I think he did a good job last year with the first rounder, Dalton Kincaid. I mean, he was on the field a lot earlier in the season and his role just continued to grow throughout the year and to the point where he was probably the Bills' second best option in the passing game. And that's Sean McDermott giving a lot of trust into a rookie. And then you go to the second round, the Osiris Torrance. He played every single offensive snap for the season as a rookie. So it's not unprecedented for Sean McDermott to have faith in rookies. And I think that might have to be the case this time around, because when it comes to the position I'm talking about here, potential wide receiver too. I don't see the Buffalo bills spending any significant financial resources on wide receiver, even though it's a need Arguably, it might even be the biggest need on this football team right now. Uh, the reasons why I say I don't see them spending any major financial resource at the wide receiver position is because, well, for starters, they're running the ball more. They ran the ball more this second half of the season. Than they have in recent years. So you're running the ball more. You still have Stefan Diggs. He is your number one receiver, and that's not going to change short of something crazy happening where Stefan Diggs gets traded during the offseason. Stefan Diggs is, without question, your number one receiver. So you're running the football more. You're sustaining drives. You have Stefan Diggs. You have Dalton Kincaid, who caught, what, over 70 passes as a rookie. You have Khalil Shakir, who is your starting slot receiver, and a damn good one now, too. I mean, his story, when we start to look back at the season, the 2023 season in totality, what went right, what went wrong, and we'll start to examine some of those in more detail in the days ahead. But Khalil Shakir, low key, has been one of the better Buffalo Bills stories any, this season. Anyway, he's your slot guy. So you got your slot guy. You got Diggs. You got Kincaid. You got a hell of a running game. Dawson Knox is going to be back next year. His contract dictates that he's going to be back next year so spending big money on a wide receiver that probably isn't going to catch a ton of passes that's probably not going to get a ton of footballs thrown his way doesn't really seem like a great allocation of financial resources also you know drafting someone as opposed to to deciding say an aging free agent veteran or trading for a veteran out there you know last year there was a lot of talk over the last couple of years trying to get Adele Beckham Jr. as a free agent then all of last offseason it was about DeAndre Hopkins I just first of all the salary cap dictates it that's not realistic this season and secondly I'm not really sure that's what the Bills need drafting someone to me right now and And by the draft, I mean potentially the first round, no later than the second round. The Bills need to draft a wide receiver within the first two rounds of the season. No if and buts about it. But you draft somebody, it just feels smart. The youth, the the cheaper rookie contract, and maybe whoever it is that the Bills draft. And by the way, as the the weeks bounce here, we will spend endless amounts of time talking about potential wide receiver prospects for the Bills. I was going to say mock draft season, and we're certainly going to have that. But there's a handful of positions that you already know the Buffalo Bills are going to address. And obviously, wide receiver is going to be one of them. So over the course of the next handful of weeks, leading into the NFL draft in April, you're going to get to know the ins and outs about a lot of these wide receiver prospects. But anyway, whoever that guy ends up being, or maybe multiple guys, one of them ultimately might become the the number one receiver in a year or two. You know, Stephon Diggs turning 30 and his long-term future is certainly not a lock uh, with the Buffalo Bills. So I could see them drafting a a young guy who could get down the field, create those explosive plays because I think that's the one thing that now lacks in this Bills offense. Maybe you go out and you sign a a Trent Sherfield type to another one-year deal and he's your wide receiver four or Wide receiver five, you got Justin Shorter, the rookie from last year in the mix as well. You know, hopefully whoever you sign to that tur- type of one-year deal could actually give you more production than Trent Sherfield actually did. That was a pretty, uh, I expected more for Trent Shurfield. And I was excited at the end of the year when he had that nice touchdown grab against Miami. And I thought maybe with Gabe Davis being out, he would be able to parlay that into something positive going into the playoffs. It just, uh and never materialized. But anyway, I like the signing of Joe Brady. I think it's not a surprise at all. Josh Allen put his stamp on it for whatever that's worth, and I kind of think that's important as well too. That you keep Joe Brady now as your offensive coordinator because you got this franchise quarterback who's not really so much young anymore, but certainly not old. But you don't want him having a fourth offensive coordinator in less than four years. He goes from Brian Dable leaving to Ken Dorsey, not to Joe Brady. So if Joe Brady left, like for whatever reason, Sean didn't want to keep him as offensive coordinator or if he got plucked by another team, now you're probably going outside the organization and Josh is going to have his fourth OC in less than four years. And that certainly would not have been ideal. So pretty much everything about the Joe Brady hire, I like, it makes sense. Love that he has a track record. You know, a body of work, so to speak, with calling plays now with the Bills. But the top priority has got to be to draft, in my opinion anyway, to draft a blue chip wide receiver uh, prospect. So that's the offensive side. On the defensive side, and I find this kind of interesting, Sean McDermott is actually interviewing a couple of defensive coordinators. Uh, Mike Caldwell, former D.C. for Jacksonville, 2022-2023, got fired after this season. Uh, he interviewed for the job. They've also interviewed our uh, former Eagles defensive coordinator, Sean Desay. Um, he was a DC last year for Philly. He had his role taken away. He played calling duties. Uh, we're giving to Matt Patricia with the Eagles. Uh, not sure how I feel about either of those guys, which by the way, I mean, if Sean McDermott hires a DC, that is going to mean that he's not going to be defensive coordinator for the Bills this season. Uh, It's worth noting that defensive line coach, a guy that Sean liked a lot, Eric Washington left to take the defensive coordinator job at Chicago. So he's gone. He's out. Not going to be calling plays in Chicago reportedly, but still a promotion and position. So he takes uh, the defensive coordinator job there. So the bills are out for the time being with a defensive line coach. Uh, Yeah, just, I I think it's interesting. These interviews with Caldwell and and decide they kind of, They indicate that Sean McDermott may not keep that defensive coordinator role, whether Sean ultimately calls the plays or not. You know, there's a lot of coaches out there, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They have coordinators, but they still call the plays. So I wonder when it comes to the Bills, if Sean's still going to call plays, but actually hand the day-to-day DC rollover to somebody else. Was it too much for him to to handle last year as he looks back and reflects on the 2023 season uh, for what it's worth? You know I'm kind of hard on Sean McDermott about a lot of things, but I thought he did a pretty good job with the Bills' defense in whole for the season, especially when you consider you know all these injuries. Uh, Bobby Babich, the Bills' linebacker coach, he's the popular name. He's the guy that a lot of Bills fans, a lot of content creators, a lot of media people, and myself for that matter, would just like to see promoted. We would like to see him become Bills' defensive coordinator. Uh, He's drawn interest from. Miami and Green Bay for that role. So it kind of feels like either Bobby Babbage is going to get promoted here defensive coordinator or they're going to lose him. And who knows what he wants. You know, maybe he gets an opportunity and we don't know what's going on. Maybe Babbage, if he stays in Buffalo, might have an opportunity to be the Bills defensive coordinator, but he's not going to get a chance to call plays. He might consider himself under Sean Shadow. Whereas if maybe he wants to say Miami. Where they just fired, you know, they fire Vic Fangio, or uh, you know, Green Bay who's got an opening, he can be the defensive coordinator there and actually call the plays too. So we don't know that part right now. We don't know what Bobby Babbage wants. We don't know what ultimately Sean McDermott wants to do. But it's um, it's very interesting to see how that plays out. Losing Washington already, I would think that Sean McDermott, at least I would think that Sean McDermott doesn't also want to lose. Bobby Babbage as well and Bobby Babbage, from what I see and I don't know a lot about coaches I'm not gonna sit here and try to pretend that I do when I don't but I will tell you that it sure seems like Bobby Babbage is one of those young guys around the league that is very well respected and liked and the job he's done as Bill's linebacker coach has been phenomenal I mean you gotta assume he had a pretty significant role on the development this year of Terrell Bernard so Count me in for wanting him as Bills DC. This has been a long, stressful, sometimes annoying week for, for Bills fans, for, for everyone, for content creators, for media, just having to come to grips with the, the season, coming to what we still feel. I certainly speak for myself, a, a premature ending. Um, You look back at that game and that's what you do. You know, when you cover a team, whether it's, professionally for a newspaper or a TV outlet or a radio outlet whether you do it professionally whether you have a podcast whether you you, you blog no matter what it is that you do if you cover this team in any way you kind of look back at the season and how the season ends and then you kind of look at well what went wrong that's what we do what could Sean McDermott have done differently what could the Buffalo Bills have done differently you go back you look at all that shit right And for me, I keep going back to A.J. Klein. You know, I go back to a lot of things. All right, let let me put that out there too. First and foremost, more than anything else, which has nothing to do with coaching, is I go back to the Bills defensive line and how it completely no-showed against the Chiefs and how I'm officially a little bit worried about Ed Oliver. You know, there's just some players in the NFL and I'm not saying Ed Oliver is 100% in this group right now. But there are some players, not just maybe in the NFL, but sports. They play amazing during the regular season and they always seem to save their worst performances for the postseason. And I thought Ed Oliver, by a million miles, had the best season of his career this year in the regular season. He was annoyed that he was not named to the Pro Bowl and I think Ed Oliver had a very good point. I think Ed Oliver was deserving of the Pro Bowl. Hell, I think to some extent Ed Oliver was deserving of at least being in the conversation for making an all-pro team. But it was excellent during the season and he was consistent. You know, I said it many times on this show throughout the season that I think Ed Oliver was probably the Bills' most consistently good player on the team. This entire season. That's how much I felt Oliver was just great this year. However, he did shit in the playoffs. He did nothing against the Chiefs. He got beat. He got dominated and it wasn't a bunch of double and triple teams. I saw a stat where Joe Tooney had him one-on-one 10 times in pass protection and didn't give up one pressure, not once. So, Ed Oliver had a disappearing act in the playoffs this year, just like Ed Oliver had a disappearing act in the playoff loss to Cincinnati last year. And you know, last year you could at least throw at somebody. the, uh, Well, Daquan Jones was hurting. He didn't play. That was last year. And I'll let you slide on that. I still think you're great. If you're a great defensive tackler, you find a goddamn way to make a play, right? Chris Jones always does it. No matter who's playing next to him, Chris Jones always finds a way to make an impactful play. Ed Oliver didn't do that last year. But you give him a bit of a pass because about 48 players on the Buffalo Bills did absolutely dog shit last year against Cincinnati. But you fast forward to this year and there's just no excuse. Daquan played. For all the injuries on the Bills, the defensive line was healthy. And Ed Oliver was just a straight up no-show. So to me, that is far and away the biggest thing. Ed Oliver and the entire defensive line. When Vaughn Miller is your best defensive lineman in a playoff game, Vaughn Miller, who's done nothing all season long, then your unit played like shit and badly underperformed in a critical game. Simple as that. But, and that's to me, I, I feel like that's mostly universally accepted. But what led to me having beef with a lot of people on Twitter throughout this past week was A.J. Klein. A.J. Klein got the start, didn't really have a choice, Sean McDermott. And I, and I get that. You know, Terrell Bernard's gone. Baylor Spector's gone, hurt. Tyrell Dodson's playing hurt. Plus he's been a disaster at the mic. So you had to go with AJ Klein. My beef was the Bills should have went with Dorian Williams. And I've had people, whether they're fans, fans who are being you know polite and, and nice about it, or whether they're fans who are being dicks about it, just kind of going back and forth with them, uh, saying that Dorian Williams is just not a Mike linebacker at this point. They tried it out this summer, didn't work. And he just couldn't play that role. And it's not even just fans, by the way. You know, Joe Marino, a guy who I respect to the end of the earth um, at Lockdown Bills, pretty much said the same thing to me when we were discussing this on Twitter and actually discussing it and not beefing. Like I had beef with so many fans and a couple other content creators that doesn't really matter who they are or where where they work with it. None of that shit really matters. Point being is this. My take was, all right, well, originally my take was AJ Klein, by the first or second drive of the game, it was painfully obvious and he can't give you anything out there physically. I don't know how he ends up in coverage with Travis Kelsey on multiple occasions, but he did. So he couldn't cover anybody, couldn't get off any blocks, couldn't hit run gaps in time, couldn't make a stop. And he looked gassed out there multiple times. You saw when you watched the game build back, he's hunched over, just not in game shape. And that's not even me hating on AJ Klein. It's just, it is what it is. He's down. He's your fourth guy. You know, there's three other guys you'd rather have out there, but they weren't available. I, I completely get that. My point was, okay, well, if Dorian Williams can't play the mic, at least get him on the field, man. Move Tyrell Dotson, and a lot of it was because he can't wear the green dot. Rookie, this and that. I'm not going to, you know, rehash all the details. But to me, get Dorian Williams on the field. Move Dotson to the mic. Give him the green dot. And I know Dotson has been kind of a disaster at Mike, but could he have been any worse than what A.J. Klein was? The answer is no, he could have because it's almost not possible to hurt or to give a defense less than what A.J. Klein gave them. I wanted Dorian Williams on the field. I know he's a young rookie bonehead and Sean McDermott doesn't trust him. And by the way, so we're clear here when I call him a young rookie bonehead, I'm talking about making some mistakes on the football field that would land him in the doghouse by all accounts, Dorian Williams is a perfectly smart, intelligent, cool human being. I'll just make sure I'm clear with that. But the mistakes he made on the field, being a rookie, Sean just flat out didn't trust him. And I get it. Maybe he makes a mistake, but maybe he makes a play because he's young, he's talented, he's athletic, and he's capable of doing some things out there. A.J. Klein was not. So anyway, it was just a, a long, stressful, Annoying week of going back and forth with people on this. I just, I just don't get it. I don't, man. How do you not? How do you not make a switch? How do you just let Travis Kelsey cook AJ Klein and not do anything about it until it was pretty much too late? You 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 trust AJ Klein? He's a veteran, but it was just obvious early on, man. You you had to make the switch, in my opinion. Anyway, you find a way to get Dorian Williams on the field. Maybe he makes a play. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know, but. AJ Klein was just, uh, it was a disaster. Anyway, I'll take a real quick break. Come back. I got some thoughts on the Bill's bad injury luck. Then I want to get real quick here to the Chiefs 49ers and uh, the Sabers as well.
0: So I'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
1: all right i am back here got some various thoughts on some bills happenings and just kind of like i said a little bit of a reflection time looking back as at the season don't forget tomorrow like i said tyler dunn is going to be with me in studio i'm sure that's going to be a memorable podcast so make sure if you're not already subscribed to talking buffalo on the audio side the video side um that you are Real quick, one last Bills thing here, and then I want to get into the few other things before we bounce. I know this sounds really homerish, but I've been reflecting a lot on the Bills season, not even this year, but last year. And again, I'm prefacing this by saying I know this shit sounds homerish, but I just keep thinking and thinking and thinking, and I come back and constantly arrive on the fact that the Bills have just had some horrible, horrible injury luck the last two years. I really feel that. I really do. I feel in my heart of hearts, watching that game tape back, watching that game tape back, watching the Bills' offense for fifty-five minutes against the Chiefs, watching the the defense just be literally helpless to stop the uh, the Chiefs' offense, especially in the middle of the football field. In my heart of hearts, I, honest to God, feel that if Jarrell Bernard does not get hurt against the Pittsburgh Steelers and he's healthy. I truly, honestly think the Buffalo Bills beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I really do. I think him being out there hurt the middle of the defense so much. Not just the obvious shit, being able to better cover Travis Kelsey and just cover the, the middle of the field better in the passing game. But the run gaps in the running game, being able to maybe blitz and actually get some pressure, maybe force Patrick Mahomes to do a mistake because Pat Mahomes was clean For the majority of that game, he barely got any pressure at all. Terrell Bernard, the upgrade from Bernard over A.J. Klein is just hard to explain. It just is. That was just huge, huge, huge for the Buffalo Bills. And Rasul Douglas playing, but being a shell of himself out there. And I admire him for even giving it a go. But it was obvious. He couldn't run. He couldn't run at all. In fact, it got to a point, like I said, with Dorian Williams and A.J. Klein, where I'm thinking in my mind, get Kyrie Elam out there. At least Kyrie can run. You know, maybe maybe Elam can make a play. Maybe he gets lucky. Maybe he gets an interception. He had one the week before. And and Rasul, as great as he was, and man, oh man, what a great trade that was, Brandon Bean picking him up at the trade deadline. But he was hurt that knee and he just couldn't run. And then I look at Gabe Davis. And I know Gabe Davis has been the low-hanging fruit for people who want to bitch about some Bills players pretty much all year. He didn't put up great numbers, but he had a couple of great games, but he was not the player that we all hoped he would be. You know, you think of Gabe Davis going into the season and you're hoping for 60 to 75 catches, 900 to 1,100 yards, 8 to 9 touchdowns, and it just... Never materialized, but I'll tell you what, I truly feel if Gabe Davis is out there last Sunday, one of those two balls that Trent Shurfield drops, Gabe hauls in, and in this type of game, that makes the difference. So, just man, Terrell Bernard being out, and there are a lot of other injuries too. I mean, obviously, you know, Taylor Rapp didn't play Spectre, who we don't even talk about Spectre, but again, with Bernard out, Spectre would have been even more important. It just, you know, Tyrell Dodson playing hurt. It was just, Teron Johnson didn't seem the same coming back from the concussion. Wasn't one of his better games. Just the injuries were a huge factor. And I know all teams deal with injuries. I mean, look at the Bengals, man. The Bengals got screwed, I almost swore. I, didn't want to, I don't want to swear today. But anyway, the Bengals season effectively ended because they lost their quarterback. You know, Cleveland loses Deshaun Watson. They lose Nick Chubb. The offensive line gets decimated. Justin Herbert goes, I mean, the Chargers were toast anyway, but they lose Herbert. You know, Miami at the end of the year to trying to win the division, they get ravaged with injuries on defense. They have Racine Mostert not be able to play against the Bills. Jalen Waddle not be able to play against the Bills. I get it, man. A lot of teams were injured, so it's not woe is me. I get it. No other team or fan base around the league is going to give the Bills any sympathy because all teams get hit hard by injuries, I get that. But the thing with the Buffalo Bills is, I feel player one through 53 on the Buffalo Bills roster when healthy is better than any of the other teams that they played this season, one through 53, when they're healthy. I mean that too. And I'm not even talking, you know, I didn't even mention Trey White or obviously Matt Milano either. Because again, all teams get those major injuries. I'm just talking about the timing, the end of the year, to lose that Pittsburgh game, you know, having to play that game, if you want to have something to bitch about with the number one seed and how you might think it don't matter, well, guess what? It does matter. It matters a lot. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if the Buffalo Bills had found a way to win a couple of those games, now I know they won a couple of games that they should have lost, but just for the sake of the discussion, if they find a way to beat the Denver Broncos, which they absolutely should have, if they don't choke against the Patriots. And I know if they win those games, Dorsey doesn't get fired and who knows how the rest of the season plays out. But the Eagles game, a lot of these games they could have won. Bottom line is what I'm saying is, had the Bills been the number one seed, guess what folks, Terrell Bernard's playing. Teron Johnson is 100% and he's playing. So it mattered. It mattered a lot not having that number one seed. It was tough, by the way, watching Kansas City go and, and, you know, go to Baltimore and Baltimore couldn't do shit on offense after that first drive of the game on Sunday. You know, Lamar Jackson just, that superhuman play of the sack and then making a perfect pass downfield to Zay Flowers for the touchdown. It was tough Sunday. I'm not gonna lie. It was pretty tough watching Kansas City go out there and play and get to a Super Bowl because in my heart of hearts, I truly feel the Bills should have won that football game. You know, last year against the Bengals, the Bills didn't even belong on the same football field as the Bengals. This time around, I thought the Bills should have won. So it's tough as the Bills fan, you know, and I am a Bills fan here too. It's tough to see them lose to Kansas City because I felt really confident that if they got over Kansas City, got over that hump, that they would have beat Baltimore on the road, which Kansas City, of course, did on Sunday. Uh, We're looking at a a Chiefs-San Francisco Super Bowl. I feel like the league loves that. I mean, that is a pretty sexy matchup there. Lots of great superstar individual players for both teams in this game. The Chiefs beat Baltimore 17-10. You know, it was the blueprint all season. The Sunday was like the Kansas City blueprint all season long. Defense carries them to the winds. Uh, they forced three turnovers. They held the Ravens at just 3 of 11 on third downs. Pat Mahomes was awesome in the first half. Uh, they scored all 17 points in the first half. In fact, they didn't score a point in the second half, the Chiefs. But it didn't matter. Like, where was... The Bills defense to make those adjustments. Why couldn't that be last week where the Chiefs offense stalled out in the second half? And I know it's just me being a little bit bitter. But anyway, Pat Mahomes, great overall still. 30 of 39, 241 yards, a touchdown, no turnovers. Travis Kelsey, when is this dude supposed to be fucking washed like two weeks ago? Kills the Bills, kills the Ravens. 11 catches, 116 yards and a touchdown. Just unbelievable, man. Credit where it's due. You know, the Chiefs, We're the best team. The Chiefs find a way to win when it matters most. During the regular season, they weren't even close to being the best team. They had all kinds of issues. But in the playoffs, when it's time to turn up or go home, they turn up. You know, they smack the shit out of the Dolphins at home. Then they go on the road and they beat the Buffalo Bills. And then they go on the road and they beat the Baltimore Ravens. So the last two are on the road. They deserve this. They're the best team. They're the best team in the AFC. And Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, and Patrick Mahomes is on track to become the best quarterback of all time. It's as simple as that. And that's no knock on Josh Allen, man. Josh is great. Josh is maybe the one quarterback in the league, aside from Joe Burrow, that's capable of going drive for drive with Pat Mahomes. The Bills just keep finding a way when it matters. When they play, the Chiefs have fallen a little bit short. Not really on Josh Allen, as far as I'm concerned. And lots of Lamar Jackson hate. I get it. I think Sunday showed that, at least as a passer, he's not on that level of Mahomes or, or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow. But that don't mean he's not a great player. I mean, dude's about to win his second MVP in five years. And he's very deserving of it. You now, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter on Sunday saying Josh Allen's a real MVP. Fucking no, he's not. Lamar is the real MVP. He absolutely deserves the MVP that he's about to win. He's one of the great players of the game. He was the MVP of the league this year. And he's a great person and he's a great leader. But he falls apart a little bit in the playoffs. He made some pretty killer mistakes. Although it's not his fault that Zay Flowers got the ball punched out at the one-yard line. I'll say this, so if I'm a Ravens fan, you know, I'm starting to wonder, is John Harbaugh really as great as people say he is? Because at the end of the day, the Ravens are just two and five in playoff games since 2018. And four of those five L's have been at home. So John Harbaugh has not been a very good coach in the playoffs. And we sit here and we like to brutalize and villainize to some extent Sean McDermott all the time. You know, maybe it's uh, time for somebody who covers the Ravens. Maybe it's time for a Tyler Dunn style piece on John Harbaugh and what the hell is going on with him. And as for the Chiefs, Look, man, they're trying to win their third Super Bowl in five years. They're second in a row. Uh, a lot of comparisons now to the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots did three over the course of five years, uh, 2015, 2017, 2019. This is the Chiefs' fourth Super Bowl in six years with Patrick Mahomes. And I talked about it a little bit last week. I think it's a very fair reference. I think right now as things stand, The Bills are like the 1990s Knicks. And Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs are like the 1990s Bulls. The 1990 Knicks were really, really good. Patrick Ewing, Hall of Fame player, one of the greats. But they couldn't get it done against the Bulls. And I'm starting to get concerned, not starting to, I am concerned that that might be what we're looking at back, or when we look back at this era, that might be uh, how things play out. As for Frisco, you know, congratulations to them. They beat the the Lions 34-31. Heartbreaking for Detroit. I think all week long this is gonna be more about Detroit blowing the game than Frisco winning it. To some extent, that might be a little bit unfair, but it's also warranted because the Lions did choke. It was a choke job. You know, I'm not gonna say my heart breaks for the Detroit Lions. I mean, let's not be so fucking dramatic here, but you know, I certainly feel for them. I feel for them. I feel bad for their fans. Man, they're up 24-7 at the half. You know, they allow a field goal. It's a 20 24-10 game. And Detroit hits the ball. It's fourth and two. And from there, everything snowballs. Josh Reynolds drops a pass, a fourth down pass in his hands. The Bill, or not the Bills, the Lions. It feels like the Bills. The Lions don't go for the field goal. Reynolds drops the ball and just everything snowballed for them, for there, in a bad way. And this was the largest conference championship blown lead of all times. Teams were 21 and 0 when they went into the half up by 17 or more points. Uh, Previous to this, the largest comeback ever in a conference championship was Seattle who overcame a 16 point deficit against the Packers back in uh, 2014. And I'm sure it's going on already. I'm taping this late on Sunday night and I'm just going to get bad this week. Uh, Dan Campbell getting criticized badly for for blowing his lead, for not taking the points on multiple occasions. Uh, I think here's how I feel about the game and just general, not about the game, but just football. I think people underestimate how much the players make coaches look great or how much the players make coaches look awful. You know, this has been Dan Campbell all season long. He He's a gambler, man. He goes for it. And I'll tell you, Josh Reynolds catches that pass. It's fourth and two. Detroit's up 14. They're in easy field goal range because if they kicked it, it would have been like a 46-yarder, not a gimme. Josh Reynolds comes down with that football. Short of a turnover, they're, they're at least, at the very least, in field goal range. They're right back up to three scores. More time goes off the clock. They weather the storm a little bit, and they almost certainly win this game. And Dan Campbell's the gutsy genius who went for it. But instead, Josh Reynolds drops the ball, and then here comes the domino effect. San Francisco gets the ball, long pass to Brian Ayuk, it hits the Detroit safety, literally in the face Max pops up, Ayuk catches the ball, they go on to score, Detroit gets the ball, gives fumbles on first down, San Francisco recovers, they score again, bam, lead gone. And then later on, Detroit went for it again, on fourth down, and did not uh, convert. And then um, Josh Reynolds, I think it was a third and 10 pass, He he dropped it again, right in his hands. All these critical mistakes by the players. But it was the coaching too. In fact, a lot of people want to hate on Campbell for for going for it. If I'm evaluating Detroit, what I'm insanely furious at is their last drive of the game. They're inside the 10. It's third down. They had all their timeouts up, a little over a minute on the clock. And they fucking run the football. Then that's Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator. He runs the football on third down. Down two scores. They don't get in and they have to burn a timeout. I couldn't believe they called a timeout. Now that is on Dan Campbell. That is on Dan Campbell. So if you want to be mad at him about something, I'd be far more pissed about that. Because if you're going to run the ball on third down, it should have been one or two things. We're going to run the football. And if we don't score, we're either going to A, go for it on fourth down, get up to the line. Because we need to have our timeouts, even if we score. So you're going to run up to the line and run your fourth down play. Or you're down two scores. You, you get stopped on a third down run, you run your field goal unit on the field, kick the field goal, and now you still have all three of your timeouts and a little, maybe 50 seconds or something like that left, which is not a lot of time, but it's a lot of time if you have all three of your timeouts. But because of the way they played it, they were forced to rely on an onside kick, which of course they didn't get. When the hell was the last time an onside kick ended up uh, really mattering, you know? So that, that, that's where the horrible coaching is if you're the Detroit Lions right now, where I'm pissed off, kick the field goal, go down seven, kick it off deep, and you got all three of your timeouts. If you can stop them from getting a first down, and that's assuming they run the ball three times, you use all three of your timeouts, you're going to get the ball back and have at least an opportunity. You might have 35 to 40 seconds, something like that. But that that was really shitty coaching. So if I'm a Detroit fan, that's what I'm more pissed off about anything. But anyway, That aside, a a great year for the Lions. And if you would have said in September, the Lions would make it to the NFC Championship game and nearly get to the Super Bowl, I'm sure if you're a Lions fan, you would sign up for that. But I also think that's kind of bullshit too, because that's not how it went. If I would have told you, if you're a Detroit Lions fan, that you were going to go into the locker room at halftime, up three scores at San Francisco, and you're going to lose the game, you wouldn't sign up for that. They blew the game. They choked. The coaches choked a little bit. A couple of the players choked a lot. And as a result, we're going to get the Kansas City versus San Francisco matchup that I personally think the league is really happy about. A sexy on paper uh, matchup anyway. Last thing here, then I'm going to get out. Uh, The Buffalo Sabres. Um, The month's over. They went seven and four January. They don't play again until February 6th. They're now going into their bye week. All-star break coming up here. Uh, they won two out of three on their West Coast swing this week, but did so at a price. Uh, Jack Quinn and as we record this, don't know the extent to it, but it looks like it's gonna be a significant ankle or lower body injury. So this the the victory on Saturday came against San Jose came at a pretty big price. I hope that they bring up Yuri Kulik and that they don't just fucking take Zegmans Gergensen and move him up a line like they did earlier this season. Like Quinn's goal scorer, and they need goal scoring on this team right now. And Zegman's Gergensen ain't it. This is your A.J. Klein versus Dorian Williams moment. And I just thought of that on the fly. Pretty goddamn smart by me, by the way. But yeah, Gergensen's is your A.J. Clive, and you know what you're going to get with Zegman's Gergensen if you have him fucking around on some top six line. Whereas Yuri Kulik is the wild card. He's Dorian Williams. He might come up there and not be ready, make dumb rookie mistakes and hurt you. or he might give you what Jack Quinn was giving you. And I really hope that Don Granado calls up Kulik and gives him an opportunity to cook with whether it's Baturk and Cousins, whether he's playing with Middlestad, whoever. Don't bring up Yuri Kulik and have him playing with fucking Robinson and Kyle Ocoso. Please, don't do it. So we'll see what happens with the Sabres. You know, it just, they, they won on Saturday, which is good. Of course, it's good. But. All five teams above them in the wildcard race, they all won as well. There's still nine points out as we record this right now. And I just look at this team and they feel destined to, to wind up at the end of the year, right about where they are right now, which somewhere in that, like maybe seven to 10 points out of a wildcard spot range, somewhere maybe as high as 10th, as low as 13th in the Eastern Conference. Anyway, we'll talk a lot more about the Sabres in the coming weeks. Now that football season is coming to an end, Uh, obviously the Buffalo Bills season is over. So there'll be plenty of time here to really start digging into the Sabres. And if you watch this show, you listen to this show, you know how I feel about the Sabres. So it's probably not going to be a lot of, especially if they keep playing the way they are, it's not going to be a lot of positive things coming out of my mouth in uh, regards to the Sabres. But anyway, that's going to do it for this show. Like I said, tomorrow, a big one. Going to be here live in my studio with uh, Tyler Dunn talking Sean McDermott. It's going to be good, folks. Talk to you tomorrow.
0: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.